All right, well, we are going to go ahead and take some time right now to cover some things we did not get to cover in Sunday school yesterday. And this really comes from Piper's chapter on uh, God's providence over Satan and demons. And he has 10 ways in which God shows his providence over Satan, his sovereignty over Satan. And uh, some of these issues we touched on yesterday, some more than others, some less than others. And so as we go, we'll move more quickly uh, through some, and we'll slow down with others, just depending on what we covered yesterday. But uh, Papa Fred, uh, in your home office there, uh, can you pray for us, and then uh, we we can jump in. I'd love to, Mark. Thank you, uh, Father. Um, what a what a what a great topic! What a great subject is is uh, our Lord's authority uh, and providence and sovereignty over evil, and particularly satan and demons uh we covered some of this yesterday but uh and it, it, it throughout the gospels we see um uh, our lord uh, uh confronting demons and and freeing uh individuals from that influence but uh that was a couple thousand years ago and 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 satan even though he's been uh uh diminished somewhat and and on a shorter leash he's still active in our lives and so uh i pray that that your spirit would open uh our hearts and our eyes and our minds to uh to scripture and to the text uh to discuss the many ways and varied ways that satan can influence our lives and i pray this in jesus name amen amen well fred can you start us off do you have the list in front of you fred uh, yes, sir. Um, can, can you start us with the first one? The first one is providence over Satan's delegated uh, world rule. I just I skipped some of the preface and that kind of thing. I simply went with number one. And um, some of the names and some of these we've already covered. Um, uh, he, he's the ruler of the world in John 12, 31. The God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 2, or a cosmic power over this present darkness in uh, Ephesians 6 12. Um, but this, these limits are, are only by God's permission with God's appointed bounds. This is, this is made clear over and over in the Bible as we went through the examples, Mark, that you used in, in Mark yesterday. Uh, but I like the temptation of Jesus, whether you use the Matthew uh, uh, text or the Lucan text, uh, because there you see, I guess, our on, on this earth as the Son of God. Uh, you know, he's 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 introduced. He enters. He starts his ministry, and he's immediately almost taken into the wilderness to be tempted, and and there he achieved. Uh, uh, a victory over Satan. For example, in Matthew, he said, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That was the last, his last response was from Deuteronomy 6, 13. And Satan was gone for, temporarily. He left him. And, uh, and so in each of the, he used, uh, <coughs> Jesus used, uh, uh, Psalm 91, he used Deuteronomy the other three times, I believe. And and, uh, and so he's quoting scripture. And, and I remember the, the promise keepers and, and listening to E.B. Hill. 
and, and preaching on this very passage. And he said, uh, if Jesus could use scripture, he was, he said he was God. And so he could have said, be gone, Satan, or go to the lake of fire right then. And he, he would have, but Jesus used scripture and we can use scripture. We can use the word of God to uh, tell Satan to be gone. We have that authority now uh, as his children. So uh, that's a good way to start, I think, with the temptation. Jerry, can I ask you, that's really good, Fred. With Jesus's temptation against Satan in those two texts, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, Jesus is quoting scripture. I mean, Jesus could just quote his own. He could quote himself. He's God in the flesh. What is the significance there of him fighting temptation with scripture? And then how can we apply that to ourselves? Yeah, what a great, yeah, really great point by both you guys there. I, I love that. And Jesus going to the Old Testament. So, you know, given a lot of uh, value to to that, you know, all scriptures, God breathed and useful for uh, rebuke and correction and training and um, and righteousness for sure. And, you know, this book of the law should not depart from our mouth, but we're to meditate therein day and night and observe to do according to all that's written there. And then we'll have prosperity and success. And so it seemed as though Jesus is obeying what's commanded in Joshua 1, 8 and, you know, all throughout Psalm 19 and 119 to let scripture be um, what we use to battle. So I, I love that. I wondered, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the students ask this sometimes. Satan in verse nine really seems um, confident that that was his world to, to give, you know, and he said to him, all of the things I will give you. And so can you explain really there is, um, it wasn't necessarily his to give Jesus, right? Um, how would you explain that? Sometimes the students ask about that. It's kind of an intriguing, uh, arrogance that Satan had there. No, that, Papa, I want to hear from you on that, but uh, it does seem like, you know, those terms that Fred mentioned, he's called the ruler of this world, the lowercase g, god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and the cosmic power over this present darkness. So there is a sense in which there God has given, I mean, God is sovereign over everything that Satan does, but God has given some kind of limited abilities to Satan that are actually significant as far as we we're concerned it's a pretty significant thing there to call him the god of this world or the ruler of this world and um so it seems like satan really has some ability to dispense like there's no question like piper mentions uh stalin and hitler and and uh there's a whole list of famous you know people there's no question that satan is behind those particularly evil individuals and i'm sure was involved in empowering people like hitler to do what they did for just kind of evil purposes and of course god has ultimate purposes behind even the worst of things but it does seem like he has some kind of some kind of uh ability there fred what do, what do you think we talked yesterday about uh, a leash and 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 i you know i don't know how long how long or how short the leash <laughs> is but I, I think that the leash may be uh on this on this earth i mean and 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 you mentioned these uh uh, Idi Amin, Stalin, Hitler, Bloody Mary, Genghis Khan, they were on this earth. And and so, uh, you know, uh, he could have been influenced. He made a, he's a deceiver and the father of lies. So maybe it, got, it went to his head when when he's called the ruler of this world. Maybe he took it literally and this is his domain, this planet here. 
And, and so he's taking advantage of that and saying, okay, I'll give this to you if you'll worship me. Uh, not really believing that, but since he's a deceiver and the adversary, hey, let's try and see what works. That's good. And it seems like Jesus here in this text of the temptation, he's both the true and better Adam because he's going toe-to-toe with Satan just like Adam did, and he's representing all those who are in him, right? So he's representing a lar- like the human race in some sense, but he's also uh, in a much more difficult situation for temptation. Adam was in a garden with all that he could want. Jesus is in a desert with no food for 40 days, and yet Adam falls in in really an easy temptation. I mean, as you, if you can say it that way, Jesus falls in a very difficult temptation. Uh, Jesus succeeds in a very difficult temptation. So you see him superior to Adam, and you also see him superior to Israel because Israel was tempted in the same kinds of ways in the wilderness that, that Jesus was. Jerry, I think you mentioned it too. I mean, again, the word is the word is sovereign. And even though Jesus was God in this temptation experience, he simply used the word, uh, the written word of God. Or the, or he is the logos or the word. And he, as the word, he used the word to dispel the evil one. Because Kevin Young talked about how when Jesus is dealing with temptation, uh, you're right. Like Papa mentioned, he, there's Psalm 91 is misquoted by Satan, and Jesus, you know, rebukes him for that. But the the times where Jesus initiates Scripture, it's Deuteronomy, the three times. So he quotes right. from Deuteronomy four and Deuteronomy six. And Kevin DeYoung had this great quote. He said, "If Deuteronomy is good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for me and you." So, I mean, for, uh, we, we uh, Deuteronomy might not be a go-to book for most of us, but Jesus would go to Deuteronomy to find riches and resources to fight off temptation, and we have the whole of the canon, uh, all 66 books. There's limitless resources for us to fight uh, sinful temptation. Jerry, fact, were you going to say something? In fact, this video would never end if we went to all the sources that we, <laughs> we have. No, I really I'd do that. Renew, I'd have to renew my uh, subscription again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the the fact though, that we do have all a scripture and and certainly for all of us i think we would admit we need to be quicker quicker to go there um to fight whether it be anxiety or any sort of fear or um you know whether it be lust whether it be anger um uh, whatever temptation is coming up against us Certainly, Scripture has all the ammunition we need. All we need for life and godliness is right through um, God's Word and through the Lord Jesus. So, um, you know, it's, again, an emphasis that it's never His fault if we sin. That is on us that we hide it through His Word. Mm, That's a good point. So let's move to number two. Uh, Number two, uh, Fred, can you read number two for us? Um. Yes, it's providence over demons and evil spirits. Um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, of course, we saw the first example of this in, in, in his temptation. But then we saw your, I don't know how many of you actually had Mark uh, yesterday from the Gospel of Mark, but you had his confrontation with uh, demonic spirits in a number of individuals and places. And he simply be gone. They recognized him. We talked about this yesterday a little bit. They recognized who he was. They they wondered if their time was 
was up or, uh, or how long they had and that type of thing. But he simply dismissed them and they came out and were obedient. And, and that was a face-to-face -face confrontation uh, with the demons. And, and, and with one of them, there was six, a legion, 6,000 6, uh, demons at least in that individual. Was that the demoniac? Uh, I think that was the uh, Gadarene demoniac. I can't remember. In Mark 5, um yeah, though this the guy in, in Mark Five. I think that I think that's the Gadarene demoniac. I'd have to look back because they went into the pigs. Right, they went into the pigs. Two thousand pigs, so it's at least two thousand demons right there. That's a lot of pork. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the demons are called demons. They're called evil spirits. They're called unclean spirits. Often in the Gospels, also you hear of the devil and his angels. So the fallen angels demons evil spirits unclean spirits all referring to the same group as far as we can tell all referring to the same group which would be those who the, the, the angelic beings who followed satan in the in the original fall and uh, are enemies of god obviously but god is still sovereign over them and as the people said to jesus in mark uh, even the demons obey his voice so jesus is clearly sovereign over satan and uh, his angels fred um, do you have something on that you had a you had a good verse yesterday as far as the the the, the fallen angels or uh, the First um, Timothy five twenty one verse in the presence of God. I think this is the only place in Scripture that this is uh, this reads this way. But at, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging uh, prejudging. Prejudging, I'm sorry, doing nothing from partiality. So that's an important verse. So we get a hint as who these fallen angels might be, the, the non-elect angels. Which is amazing that the doctrine of election applies both to people, but also to the angelic world as well. That God right. is sovereign over which angels were remained faithful, like Michael and Gabriel and hundreds of millions of others. And God was sovereign over allowing uh, the unelect angels to fall with Satan. So God is sovereign. Again, it's not sovereign in the same way. He, one is coming from his goodness. One is his allowance. But he's he's sovereign over even the fall and the faithfulness of various angels. I don't want to fall back into the Old Testament. When we were uh, uh, discussing Daniel, uh, we have a glimpse into that demonic warfare and, and that really opened my eyes to both Daniel and Revelation as we got into it, that uh, there's this uh, where the angels sent in response to Daniel's prayer says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So th there's this warfare going on in the heavenly places wherever they are, and and the the... Michael, one of the chief, he's called chief princes. Uh, I think uh, there's also archangel. Uh, there's some hierarchy, uh, but there's also uh, even an evil angel connected with Persia that was fighting with Michael. So, can I say something about that? So this was new to me, and I, I don't know if I can prove it, but I, I this is definitely where I'm leaning. This is a connection with Ezra that I would never have seen otherwise. And so in Ezra chapter four. They, you know, they on Sunday we saw that they built the altar and they offered sacrifice and they lay in chapter four. They 
chapter three, they lay the foundation of the rebuilt temple, and then they begin. They're just about to begin to rebuild the temple, and then uh, Persian. Uh, th th there are some Samaritans and others who call the Persians to say, tell them to stop, and C Cyrus actually tells them to stop building the temple that he'd already told them to build. So, so they, the Persians shut down the temple rebuilding project for about almost twenty years, and and this is a this is a pause in redemptive history because the temple has to be rebuilt for redemptive history to pick back up. And it's amazing to me that in Daniel 10, when that chapter starts, Daniel 10, 1, that, that scene when the Prince of Persia is talked about and Michael comes, it starts by saying, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was in great conflict, and uh, Daniel was in fasting for three, for three weeks. There's a good argument to make that why is Daniel fasting for three weeks on the third year of Cyrus's reign? That's the exact time the temple project was shut down. So it's very likely Daniel had heard about that, Ezra chapter four, that the Persians had changed their mind and Cyrus had stopped the temple building. So Daniel is fasting and praying. And then there's a three week battle for the angel to come speak to him. And he says, hey, I've been battling with the angel, the demon of the, the, the prince of Persia. In other words, Perhaps what Daniel 10, the background historically, could be the fact that the prince of Persia is the demonic force behind Persia that led Cyrus to stop the temple project. And so I, I know that that's, that's maybe reading in more than is explicit in the text, but it matches perfectly with Ezra chapter 4. And some commentators suggested this, and I, I find that a fascinating background. So I can't prove it, but I'd say it seems like it could very well be the background to that scene. So, you know, in the fact that God is sovereign, not only, not only in heaven— but he's sovereign in the world among leaders. And, and eventually that project is resumed, the temple building, yes. because they had to go back to the Cyrus, because I think Cyrus died in 30, uh, 530 in combat. And so they had to go to the next emperor who was either Xerxes or Artaxerxes. I think it was Esther's husband. And and look at the Cyrus, read the Cyrus cylinder, which gave the uh, Hebrew people the right to build the temple. And then the, uh, the project resumed. So, That's right. Amazing. So let's move to point number three. Papa, can you read that for us? Point number three is providence over Satan's hand in persecution. Um, uh, and and the, I, the, the, the takeaway verse for me was Jesus' arrest, uh, on the Mount of Olives, satanic power was in full force. Uh, Jesus said, if you come out as a robber with swords and clubs, you know, Peter shows up, I mean, uh, uh, the temple guards and show up with, with lanterns and, and, and knives and spears. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. This is scripture. Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. God decides when the hour begins and when it ends. So he's even determined that that's, that's going to be his hour until the God appointed hour. No one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Remember when he first, when they asked who uh, they were looking for Jesus, he said, I am he, they all fell down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there was no question in the Gethsemane. If he would have said, if he would have said, uh, you know, call for the angels or spoken a word of judgment, those soldiers would have been obliterated in, in a moment, and his, his, them falling over was proof positive that when Jesus just barely shows his glory, they're knocked down. So Jesus was not arrested because he was weak. He was arrested because he was a willing sacrifice. According to God's ordained plan. And uh, so he, he, uh, God's providence governs Satan's hand in persecution, regardless whether it's Christ or us. 
and let, let me go off right with that. Um, first Peter five, uh, let me, let me read a couple verses. So first Peter five, verse nine says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So the, just stop there. Uh, Jerry, what do we see even from that verse already? The devil is a is like a, a prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What what are just some takeaways even from that point? Yeah, maybe uh, it seems like too for sure. Uh, very strong, formidable, um, like a lion, and then uh, under the radar you know is a little sleuthy um true colors i find this passage really interesting in the um the pride that is the way satan operates is uh, our enemy as well because if we slip back to six humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time him because he cares for you be sober-minded be watchful and then there's that warning, you know, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So uh, once again, our uh, ammunition stem where we can turn a few more pages to uh, race to Christ, race to the Lord, um, submit ourselves to God, um, resist the devil, he'll flee uh, to us and do so with humility, you know, casting our cares um, on him. So not so much. Uh, rebuking him in in our own strength, but uh, leaning on the Lord's on the Lord's power there. That's fantastic. In fact, I hadn't really thought much about those two things, Jerry. The he prowls around represents his craftiness, his kind of his subtlety, his sneakiness. So you're not seeing him coming. He's crouched down, you know, in the tall grass in the in the in the African savanna. There he is. He's crouched down in the tall grass. You don't see him, but yet he's also a roaring lion. So he's both hidden. And incredibly powerful. He's subtle, and yet he's incredibly deceptive, and and has great uh, ability to trick and deceive and 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 overcome us. Uh, it reminds me of you know Genesis four. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Similarly, Satan is crouching. He's he's prowling. He's sneaky. He's deceptive. He's serpent like, but yet at the same time, he's incredibly strong in 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 the strength God has allowed him to have. But God is infinitely stronger, and we can go to Him and rest in Him for help. Papa, reflections on that before we get to the next verse. Uh, speaking of prowling around, I went back to Job one, and and God says, "From where have you come?" And Satan answered and said, "From going to and fro." on the earth and from walking up and down on it sort of like prowling around now he didn't mention roaring there but i've heard that the roar of a lion i've never personally heard one but that it just is insurmountable in provoking fear and dread it's loud I mean, in that time period they didn't have nuclear weapons. They didn't have sci-fi movies with all these crazy aliens and these weird things that we see on TV or whatever. A lion was the most extraordinary thing you could probably imagine in this time period. I mean, it had to be one of the scariest, most ferocious, most, you know, something you want to be protected from animals imaginable on Earth and and uh, in some ways still is. And so it's a great metaphor there. But look at verse nine. So it's first Peter five, verse nine. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
So first of all, it's just like Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. The devil shoots fiery darts, and we resist him, how? With the shield of faith. So if he is suggesting untrue things that are very tempting, how do I resist that? Faith in God's secure word, faith in God's better promises. I hold that up and I can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Here, similarly, resist Satan, how? Firm in your faith. And then he says, you know things. It's like the shield of faith, knowing something, that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Thoughts on that before we talk a little bit more about the suffering part? Well, that's encouraging. I mean, I mean, uh, again, it's just like resisting, firm in your faith. It, it's the faith. It's the uh, Ephesians six verses, uh, the armor of God. Stand firm. And uh, all of those uh, metaphors use the word or scripture or whatever in some context as a way to confront the evil one. I think that's right, Papa. And it does remind me that we are in no, we're have no ability to uh, rely on our own resources, trust in our own understanding here. Um, we need the Lord Jesus desperately. And uh, that's where the humility comes, I think, is to not say, oh, I think I can kind of handle this one on my own. And I'm guilty of trying that and uh, with 0% success on that. <laughs> So so look look at verse 9 one more time because it says here what Satan how is Satan uh trying to devour Christians and the answer I think is suffering in this verse. So verse 9 resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering. Well clearly the suffering is attached to Satan in this verse. Not all suffering comes from Satan. But the persecution that first Peter is talking about is satanic. Its origins are against Jesus. So Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the, the, the satanic persecution of Christians worldwide comes from the devil. And here's why that's important, to go back to God's sovereignty over Satan. If you just rewind back to 1 Peter 4.19, which is dealing with the persecution, you know, uh, 1 Peter 4.19, just a few verses earlier, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And Piper was so good to connect these verses because the persecution suffering that comes from Satan is also ultimately under God's will. It, it, those who suffer persecution do it according to God's will. So again, we're seeing that when Satan is trying to devour us, God is behind that lion of Satan. He's behind that. And he has, a, he has an ultimate will involved that is directing even that. So thoughts on the, that? I thought that was a great connection from from Piper's book. Well, I think you mentioned it yesterday um, as far as the, the suffering uh, with, with the thorn that was given Paul. And, and the purpose of that thorn was to humble him. And uh, then he's, then he's content with the weaknesses, insults and hardships and persecutions. But he was always seeming learning this lesson because you go to second Corinthians two the very first chapter, and he says, we had received the sentence of death. This was to make us rely on ourselves, but on, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So once again, the weaknesses that he received in 12 and the suffering, uh, the, the, uh, the death sentence that he received in, in chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians was all to make him rely on God and not himself. 
and, and we want to rely on ourselves. We want to fix it first and then go to God, I think, sometimes as a fallback position. Yeah, that's really good, Papa. That, I mean, there is no doubt that this is really applicable and, and encouraging today to say, let's not rely on our own devices for, for anything, um, but to race them continually. Papa, can you read for us point number four? Yes, sir. Uh, four was providence over Satan's life-taking power. And uh, I have a few verses. I think Piper began with some of these. Uh, but uh, it's not is not God the Lord. And some of these, Jerry, are yours. Uh, is not God the Lord of life and death? He is. No one lives and no one dies but by God's decree. See now that I, I am he and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive. I mean, those are powerful verses. I wound and I heal and there's none that can deliver you out of my hand. In fact, one of those, Jerry, I sent to you yesterday because of your foot. Um uh, that I heal, I wound, I heal, and there's none that can deliver out of my hand. That's from Deuteronomy 32, 39. Wow. There is no God, no demon, no Satan that can snatch to death any person that God has decided will live from 1 Samuel 2, 6. Um, but in that in that section, I went to the, the verse that Piper used is, is the same verse we used yesterday too, the James 4. 13 through 16. Uh, you know, today or tomorrow we go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. I think I told this story, but... Um, Peter Marshall, who was chaplain of the Senate at the time of Pearl Harbor, was to give the uh, baccalaureate address at Annapolis that Sunday morning, uh, December 7th, 1941. And it was at eight o'clock in the morning. So that would have been the, the, the attack had not begun yet in, in, in uh, Pearl Harbor. That would have been like three o'clock in the morning. And he goes to the commandant and he says, I've got to change the text of my message. I guess it was printed in the in the bulletin. And and the commandant said, Well, that's that's your prerogative. You're the you're the speaker. And he and he spoke on James 4. Uh, what is your life for your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Half of that class, or the class was graduated prematurely after Pearl Harbor, which happened that day. And half that class died in combat wow. uh, that was called up. Um, I know whatever the number was, I don't remember, but that is a, that is a fact. And uh, Peter Marshall writes about that in his book. Man That's an amazing it. story, Fred. Well, he's, he's usually, he, any, any, I don't know what, what the spirit, how the spirit spoke to him, but anyway, he was moved to change his address to, on to that, that very morning that very morning yes J so jerry, that, that is a powerful verse no it is and jerry just uh we, we, i know you don't we, we don't publicize all your health issues over the time but uh with both paralysis and diabetes and uh we won't say how what are you 50 what jerry seven 57 seven 
<laughs> a young man, as Papa Fred would call you. Yes, yes. Everybody's young. Everything's <laughs> real. But Jerry, I mean, I know, I know you don't talk about your monthly or weekly issues necessarily publicly all the time, but just how do you, we don't know what hand Satan directly or demons directly have in physical problems and what God does directly or indirectly through Satan or whatever, but clearly Satan, I'm sure demons are in some way involved in some of these kinds of things and God's sovereign behind all of it. How do you deal with the constant, uh, pro not just van problems, which are one thing, but the, the the health issues, the the things that could be extremely serious any any month of your life? H how do you think through that and deal with that? I do think this series, the Providence series, has been really, really good for that. To just remember that, um, really, all we need to know is that God is ultimately in control, and that all that He's uh, bringing about is perfect for our sanctification. It's all working together for good. And I think we touched on Psalm 73 maybe a couple of weeks ago. He will guide us with this counsel. So that takes us um, all, with all we need down here. And afterwards, like the glory. And so certainly um, the idea that we're not going to die until his um, appointed day in this close, which is also fantastic. So it, I think it all gives an urgency and an excitement uh, to finish this life well, um, no matter if that's a, a day or two, a week or two, a year or two, or a decade or two um, from now. And so Papa has been a great example to um, all of us in the way he um, lives aggressively and recklessly for the sake of the gospel, um, even at um, 79. Uh, which is older than fifty-seven. <laughs> Fred, let me ask. You, let me ask you, Fred. So, yes, uh, being being the young man that you are, and uh, having having lived through uh, m many decades, uh, thinking about two things. Number one, what keeps you going uh, at seventy-nine and being as motivated toward ministry and meeting with guys and studying scripture? What what, what keeps you going? And number two. How, how do you think about God's sovereignty over end of life and, and, and sickness and over death? How, how do you think about that, even preparing for those kinds of things, which all of us need to be ready for? Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound ethereal or anything, but I, I discovered a long time ago that that I, I, I read to, to, to Karen even this morning, uh, Oswald Chambers had the Hebrews 13 verse, I'm your, I, I will, I will, I'm your helper. Uh, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then I quoted to Jerry, um, Isaiah 41, 10, you know, uh, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Piper said that that was the verse that Isaiah verse was the one that sustained him during his whole time in Munich when he was in graduate school, because he, you know, he was studying in German and the foreign language and getting his PhD and a lot of struggles, a lot of, you know, homesickness and, and that type thing. And and so I think it's, I, again, I have to go back to the word just like all the rest of us. And the James verse, uh, you know, we, 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 we so take for granted, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there without, you know, Pray if the Lord wills, and and I, that, that's not a can phrase, but it's it's true. So God, if if God is the term, the determiner of all things and providential and sovereign over every aspect of our life, then then we've got to depend in, on Him for our very next breath, even. 
And and um, in fact, the next section we're going to talk about Job a little bit and 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 natural disasters. So uh, you know whether it's a natural disaster or a plane crash or whatever, it's it's God is sovereign over all that. And 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 so I got to remember that though because I struggle. I can get in the weeds as well and struggle and get down. And then and then the word picks me up. I mean I'm I'm serious. And friends, I mean you guys, you know North Avenue friends are an encouragement too. I mean, that's, I think that's why we need community uh, to, to stay strong. Cause when I'm down, I may, you lift me up and vice versa. And I want to encourage you guys as elders, you know, uh, you know, we need each other. Absolutely. No, that's so, very good, Fred. In fact, could you take us to that next point? Number five. Yeah. Um, now, we did discuss some of this because this providence over Satan's hand in natural disasters, uh, and we normally think of hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes, blistering heat, deadly cold, drought, famine, flood, and, and but they are in hands, we, we naturally think that these are in the hands of the gods of this world, Piper says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, but who's a murderer from the beginning, but when Job had his great loss, he didn't say it was God, you know, uh, you know, the, the Sabines or whatever, Satan did this. He said, the Lord, uh, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, um, so, so God is provident over natural disasters. And I'm thinking, Piper didn't mention this, I don't think, but, you know, we just got through with Exodus. Or we talked about Exodus, I think, in one of the teaching times. And uh, what about the gnats and the flies and the and the frogs and the fleas and the snakes uh, that were, you know, Aaron's rod and those kinds of things? That was God providentially controlling. And can you imagine he's controlling a herd of locusts? And I hear there are like hundreds of millions of them. And he's telling them which way to go. Go down to that place called Egypt. And eat all, eat all their their grain and their trees and their plants and their shrubs and stuff like that, and the flies and the gnats and and so you know it, it's it, it doesn't bother me to think of God's directing hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes for for our good and His glory, and we don't understand the why of all that. Um, I, I live and I was born in hur uh, hurricane country in Savannah. And I've seen many times when a hurricane was focused right on Savannah, and then the eleventh hour it would jink a little bit, turn and hit in a more rural or less populated area. So that does happen too. But nobody nobody writes that as on the headlines. They say this was an act of God. You know why did Katrina hit New Orleans and, and that type of thing? So. I think, you know, uh, one of my favorite interviews that Piper did was called, uh, no, no one, you have to Google it. I think if you Google John Piper tsunami interview. Uh, that was and, uh, a great one. Have you heard that one? Yes. So, uh, a lady from NPR who is not a Christian. I mean, obviously she's secular. She's interviewing Piper and, and she interviews him for about 30 minutes. And she asks him the hardest questions in the world about why a tsunami killed like a quarter million people in 2004. Or five. I, think it was, I think it was around 2004 or five. 
And Piper's answers are so good and biblical. She actually says at one point, wow, that's amazing. Later, she says, the reason I kept the interview going so long was because I was so I was so enjoying it. Like so. So it's it's really worth checking that out. But um, yeah, that, that that was I thought that was a helpful interview on how to deal with that, especially with someone who is not a Christian. You know, this you mentioned the friends of Job. This is a quote from Elihu, was as you remember, was the probably the one reasonably wise younger friend. And he said he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for his love. He causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job, stop and consider as the, consider the wondrous works of God. And and how much do we do that? Do we do we consider the, the sunrise or the sunset or the rainstorm or the rainbow or um, the wondrous works of God? That's good. Number six, Papa, can you read that for us? Providence over Satan's sickness causing power. And this is one, Jerry, you may want to also chime in on. Um, he can cause disease. Uh, Jesus said he went, uh, Jesus own words, he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So, you know, I, they didn't have medical doctors much back in those days. And, and so I, I think what Piper says is this is why Christ's healings are a sign uh, of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And I think we discussed that before when we were discussing the Gospels. And it's final victory over all disease and all the works of Satan. And it's a, it, and it's right and good to pray for healing, of course, but, but God has purchased it in the death of his son and, and with all the other blessings of grace for all his children. Uh, but he's not promised that we get the whole inheritance in this life. And he decides how much and when and again that's his sovereignty and his providence over sickness and 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 health uh, thoughts well let, can i turn this into a let, let me give a quote from a guy and his name is ben witherington uh he is he's written decent commentaries on acts and first second corinthians revelation and uh he is definitely not on the re reform side of things so he doesn't really believe in the sovereignty of God as we are, we are articulating it. I want to read a, an extended quote here. This was, a, a you know, from a human perspective, a, a major tragedy happened. His daughter died of a pulmonary embolism, and um, he wrote a book about it, When a Daughter Dies. And I just want to read from the opening of chapter one. Just listen, and I'm, I want to get Jerry to start with a response to what you would say, Jerry. So here, here's what he says. I was determined from day one after Christie's death to be open to whatever positive thing there might be to glean from this seeming tragedy. Now, this is good. I clung to the promise of eight of Romans 8.28, he says. The first point that was immediately confirmed in my heart was theological. God did not do this to my child. God is not the author of evil. God does not terminate sweet lives with a pulmonary embolism. Pulmonary embolisms are a result of the bent of the of the bent nature of this world, and as my wife Anne kept repeating, God is not the problem; He is the solution. One of the primary reasons I am not a Calvinist is that I do not believe in God's detailed control of all events. Why? First, because I find it impossible to believe that I am more merciful and compassionate than God. 
Second, because the biblical portrait shows that God is pure light and holy love. In him there is no darkness, nothing other than light and love. And third, because Job's words, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, do not express good theology. According to Job 1, it was not God but the devil who took away Job's children, health, and wealth. God allowed it to happen, but when Job said these words, as the rest of the story shows, he was not yet enlightened about the true source of his calamity and what God's will actually was for his life. God's will for him was for good and not for harm. Jerry, how would you respond to, I think that's a somewhat common way of talking about this. Thanks, I do, and you sure can't blame him for his for his hurt and uh and and since it is god's ways are and thoughts are far above ours as high as heavens are above the earth so um certainly i think it would be hard and unwise to try to explain how it works although i wonder if the premise is wrong to think that um anytime the taking of life or any trial uh it seems like he attributed it as an evil thing and uh and i don't believe that god operates in that way certainly he is never the author of evil but he clearly brings trials through our life again um the interpretation of romans eight twenty eight, the good there is i think correctly interpreted from verse 29 as to be conformed to the image of his son and so that's the good it's not pleasant or comfortable or fun or enjoyable at all. But what is good is to become more like Jesus. And so uh, you hurt for uh, a man like that. But um, if he truly knows Christ, and it sounds like he might, then uh, certainly God's going to sanctify him even through this um, just huge um, you know, in our mind, catastrophic sort of trial. But, you know, I'd go back to uh, Scott and Liliana and I'd use Liliana's situation in such a uh, positive way and um, really all of our lives uh, by the word first. But um, that experience that Scott and Liliana uh, so vividly displayed for us um, showed God's sovereignty and his um, sanctifying us through that trial. That's really I like the helpful. way you said in all of our lives, because I'm, I'm talking about it in North Avenue, actually and beyond, because a lot of people have watched the, the, the videos of the service and, and that type thing and, and understand what happened. And, uh, uh, and how do you, how do you counter that with, you know, there's some people that quote Isaiah 53, five and say, with his stripes, we are healed. And I've, I've I've heard people say that, and, and 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 not not always here, not you know this is the beginning. This is opening the door. He's he was crushed, he was wounded, he was chastised to bring us peace. And with his stripes, we are you should could you could say ultimately healed, not necessarily in this life. You know, I think that's right. Yeah. Greg Greg preached on that a couple a week or two ago, and and. 1 Peter 2 applies that text of healing to spiritual healing now. Uh, it says, you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. By his wounds we are healed. So there's a spiritual application, which is primary. But I think you're right, Fred. In Matthew 8, 
uh, Jesus is healing people in the here and now, and it says, by his stripes we are healed. He bore our illnesses. And I think what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry is a foreshadowing of the eternal state in the kingdom. So the healings were not meant to be all about healings in the here and now. They were signposts about eternal final resurrection healing. So I think that the th that verse applies in two ways. He He heals our spiritual souls now, and he heals our bodies in eternity forever. And I don't think anyone who's appropriating the physical healing for a guaranteed healing in the here and now is rightly understanding where we are in redemptive history. It's already, but not yet. And we're still in the not yet when it comes to physical healing guarantees. I agree with that. Um, and, and we're uh, number seven, right? Uh, I think so. Providence Satan's use of animals and plants. Yes. Anything, anything else on healing? Okay, um, he uses the the, the uh, Jonah story, which is great. Uh, Jonah's uh, the most vivid demonstrations of God control over animals and plants are in the book of Jonah. Now you could go to again Exodus there, but Piper chose Jonah, which is I think a good place. He pointed a great fish. Can you imagine a fish to swallow up Jonah? And the fish did exactly as he'd been appointed. And when the Lord spoke to the fish, it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And now the Lord appointed a plant, and he came up over Jonah, remember, the, uh, and, and gave him shade when it was hot. And when the dawn came up the next day, God, he still was grumbling, God appointed a worm to eat the plant, and so that it withered. Fish, net, plant, worm, all appointed, all obedient, all obeying God. You know, that's the kind of you mentioned detail of God's providence and sovereignty. That 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 that's what the whole book of Scripture speaks to. God's God's intimate involvement, upholding the world by uh, by the word of His power, uh, the the keeping the molecules together so my chair won't fall down. That type of, or Jerry's chair won't fall down, <laughs> and, and that type of thing. That's specificity. And, and Fred. He, linking that like the mark 5 text when the demons ask permission to possess those pigs and jesus grants it so can demons in some way affect animals directly yeah i mean it happens in mark 5 they can possess these pigs it's a strange thing but they can only do it by begging jesus and jesus saying yes and if jesus would have said no not one pig would have rushed down the bank into the water so jesus even there it's mysterious but jesus has total control he has to grant their wish for them to be able to 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 affect animals that way yeah that's a that's a great uh, uh source there for plants and uh, affecting plants and animals what is it two thousand pigs was it or i think so yeah a, a lot of pigs um anything else on on that Again, I would go back to Exodus as well. The flies, the gnats, the locusts, the frogs, um, if you want another example. Um, number eight is providence over Satan's temptation to sin. And uh, in, in this particular one, we basically, Mark, if you want to jump in here, we basically talked about it yesterday. It's, it's uh, uh, the temptation of Satan, uh, Satan's temptation of uh, Judas to betray him and uh, his uh, temptation of uh, Peter to Peter. deny our Lord. Yes. Yeah, I think we can move on from this one. Two examples that 
that uh, Piper used in that particular section. Yes, and I, I think we covered that one more yesterday during the yesterday Sunday school. So let's go to number nine, Fred. What's number nine? Okay, number nine is Providence over Satan's mind blinding power. And I got some Ooh. thoughts here, but um, you know, his final defeat is to be thrown into the lake of fire, where he'll suffer forever. We we know that from Revelation twenty ten. Uh, he knows that, but I don't know if he knows the win of that. I doubt it. The devil who's deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what 2020, 2010 says, and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's aim is to take as many there with him as he can. So that that, that destination was reserved for the uh, Satan and the demons and the being, but anyone else that would follow Satan, any of his uh, uh, converts or disciples as well as demons um to do this he must keep people blind to the gospel of jesus christ and I, I, because the gospel is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes that's the that's the come to jesus verses that martin luther read and believed that that uh it's the, the, the gospel was the power of god no one who's justified by the blood goes to hell. Only those who fail to embrace the wrath-absorbing, substitutionary work of Christ will suffer of the wrath of God. So, um, and and then he goes on to say in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and I think we use this too, in the, in the case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. I want to stop right there and say that I think any, you know, part of the part of the enemy. Yes, it's it's always Satan, it's always sin, but it's also any church that claims to be a gospel believing, gospel teaching church that doesn't teach the necessity for uh, salvation. That, for example, that that uses um, baptismal regeneration. Um, and and, and I, I'm, I'm that's particularly a hot button for me because I grew up in that type of church. So I was never taught that salvation is something that I I needed uh, uh, greatly. Now I was a I was a so I was a cultural Christian, and I think there's a lot of cultural Christians out there that don't know that the God of this world has blinded their mind uh, to the gospel and to the need for salvation and to the need for a savior. No, that's, I think that's absolutely true. And we know that God can overcome that blindness because 2 Timothy 2.24, God's servant must not be quarrelsome, able to teach, patiently instructing others. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and then they might escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So God is totally free to grant repentance to whom he will, when he will, and when he does— Satan's captivity is conquered, and the person is freed from Satan's reign. So God is, again, sovereign, even over Satan's blinding of the minds and hearts of unbelievers. Papa, let, let's bring it. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. You discovered 10 as well. Yes. <laughs> because 10 is confidence over Satan's spiritual bondage, and that is the verse. 2 Timothy 2, 24, 20. Uh, six, when God chooses to overcome our rebellion, bring us to repentance and save us from Satan's bondage, nothing can stop him. That's what we see in Second Timothy. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, the 
the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, uh, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Wow. It's a gift of repentance. So what would your advice be to someone who's maybe a seeker or straddling the fence or doesn't understand uh, repentance as a gift? I'm going to throw that to Jerry. No, I was just getting ready to throw it to you. Um, I do think that uh, you we need to just race to him. Uh, I've heard Mark tell uh, numerous students, countless students, really, we go, we plead with him. Um, perhaps he will grant repentance. Um, we admit our failures, um, our sin, confess our sin. He faithful and just to forgive those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Realizing having a, had a really uh, encouraging text um, from a good friend uh, just today um, that uh, has been watching the, the Providence series and says for the first time really understands that salvation comes from God. I think he's felt the burden of kind of uh, gaining it or earning it and keeping it uh, to himself. And so seeing God's sovereignty in that. And so knowing that God's the only one that can turn us from being a dead in our transgressions and our sins to alive in Christ, as uh, Ephesians 2 says, we need to go to him and plead with him. And, uh, and, and it just, he's very faithful to then change their heart and draw them to them to himself. Mm. That's good. That's great. That, that's encouraging. Go ahead, Papa. Sorry. That's, that's, that's the 10 points. And the reason I, I, I move on because the, that the second Timothy verse was in the 10th one. Uh, how do you providence over Satan's? spiritual bondage and, and he's blinded the mind so if we'll open our minds to the light of the gospel of the glory of god and then he grants us repentance we can be free and set uh, uh free from bondage to that sin as, as romans uh eight tells us no that's really good well thank you all for taking an hour to uh to work through these points that we were not able to cover yesterday um jerry can you close us in prayer Yes, sir. Father, we're so grateful for um, your sovereignty um, over all things, over uh, Satan and over demons. Um, Lord, and it gives us great confidence. It gives us great joy. Um, it gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, we thank you that we can go to you. We do pray that we would rely less on our own understanding, leaning on our own understanding, which um, I imagine uh, each of us is guilty with to some degree and instead um, racing to you, racing to the cross um, where our help comes from. And I uh, thank you that we can always cast our cares on you because you care so so deeply for us. And I would pray that if anyone's uh, listening to this and has yet to know the Savior, that this would be the day that they would reach out to you, that they would um, plead with you for salvation and uh, that you would change their heart um, and regenerate them. Uh, that they go from dead in their transgressions and their sins to alive in Christ. And we're so grateful for your word and pray that uh, this, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word um, in this hour, but yours as well. In Jesus name. Amen.
Amen. Amen.